seen that. This is a podcast where we uh, reveal movies that we haven't seen. You know, you might have been in a party situation. People are talking about, you know, a very famous or popular movie, and you just haven't seen it. So you, you kind of nod along and pretend that, you know, you don't, you don't reveal um, that, that you haven't seen it. This not this one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, we're taking this chance to catch up on movies that we haven't seen uh, and talk about them. So, Crossman, what have you not seen? Uh, well, last week I chose Thelma and Louise, the 1991 uh, action movie, road trip movie. Ridley Scott movie? Yeah, Ridley Scott movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I hadn't seen this movie before. I was aware of the ending. Well, I think everybody was aware of the ending. Yeah, as shown uh, yeah. in... The Simpsons. Yes, famously. Yeah. Um, and just like <clears throat> clips of it are around. Um, yeah. So, yeah, uh, I guess I'll, I'll run through the, the plot. Thelma and Louise are friends. One of them works at a diner. They seem to have had plans to sort of get away for a weekend together for a long time. Um, the other is married and uh, has a relatively abusive husband. <laughs> and Very. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So they they leave, and she doesn't tell her husband because he's a jerk. They they're supposed to go to a cabin to go fishing all weekend, but they stop at, at a bar just to rest and have some fun. One of them is Thelma. Uh, Thelma yeah. is is dancing with a guy who's like pretty clearly a creep, and then tries to take advantage of her drunkenness and brings her outside and attempts to rape her. Louise. Having sort of like lost Thelma has been looking for her and finds them in the parking lot and is able to uh, intervene in the attack. The guy's not apologetic about it and Louise shoots him and and murders and kills him in in the parking lot. Importantly, like she's clearly safely away from him at this point. Like there's distance between them. Yeah, he has a remark at the end. She turns and shoots him. Yes. Yeah, in the chest and he dies. They decide to run for it and land it. Yeah, yeah, they they drive and they kind of like end up driving driving overnight, and it, this is where it kind of like turns into just like a road trip movie. So like a bunch of things happen. They end up like staying at a motel, and they run into Brad Pitt, who <laughs> and Michael Madsen. Uh, yeah, watching these movies where people run into Brad Pitt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what kind of life is this? Um, <laughs> Brad. It's the early nineties. You're always <laughs> Brad Pitt. Yeah, Brad Pitt manages to uh, seduce. Thelma <clears throat> Louise uh, has this longtime boyfriend who's played by Michael Madsen, who she telephones for help, and uh, Michael Madsen uh, flies to them and, and brings her a few thousand dollars. Brad Pitt ends up stealing it. They get back out onto the out onto the road, and sort of like at a moment of, of great loss, Thelma goes into a gas station, and having learned how Brad Pitt knocks over gas stations. Uh, <laughs> Uh, robs the gas station for all their money. <laughs> then, like a few other like comedy hijinks in, ensue, but they they end up being chased by they've throughout have been chased by Harvey Keitel. Finally, sort of like catch up with the police, and rather than submit to arrest, they drive off into the Grand Canyon. That's that's how the movie ends. Yeah, fade out, freeze frame, mid air. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that is the the, the bulk of it. Yeah, um, this is a classic, right? Like it was almost immediately a classic. Like it, it had an impact. Like as soon as it came out, it was a first-time screenwriter and just a, essentially a star vehicle for Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis. And was, this is just a huge landmark in in '90s cinema. Uh, had you seen this before, Charles? Uh, no, I've not. No, okay. What did you think of it? Uh, it was great. Yeah, I liked it. Enjoyable. Uh, great story. Uh, really got into the characters and the struggle. Yeah, yeah, I think it, it really, it's been a while since I've seen this one, so it was good to revisit it um, and and still enjoy it. How do you feel about it? I, I loved it, yeah. You loved it, okay. Thought it, was, thought it was great, it exceeded my expectations. Well, that's interesting, what were your expectations? Um, I don't know, like, you know, with 90s movies, they don't always hold up. Like, we, we watched um, A League of Their Own together. Yeah, which was yeah. good, but not yeah. perfect. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is good, um, but I would say, like, I, I trust Ridley Scott. Like, he, he puts a good... Film together. That's, yes. I had no idea Ridley Scott did this. Oh yeah, it doesn't seem like his kind of movie. I agree. This uh, is, it feels like I'm too busy associating with Alien in Gladiator. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, he does like he, in the '90s and late '80s. He did a bunch of kind of like offbeat <laughs> stuff because like Top Gun is like a 
quote-unquote like macho movie but it's actually like this weird like romance story <laughs> yes um, and then i think this comes like pretty soon after or around top gun mm-hmm. and so he's definitely like experimenting a lot yeah well and, and just that i mean he's established at this point like he has john alien like he's, he's, yeah he's known and he's working with a first time screenwriter here um and that's you know notable and i think that you you see a lot of personality in this script Right, like this. This is this is a, a writer that like came to this movie with a perspective, and like this is a message movie. Like there's something that is trying to make a statement here, and that statement is often just like literally put in the mouths of the characters, um, and it, it's effective. Yeah, yeah. I think it's carried. I mean, Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis are great in this, yeah, and uh, the movie is like carried very much by their often comedic relationship, but. Yes. Like, it's two characters that, like, care about each other a lot, but it feels, like, very natural. Like, their friendship feels natural. It, it feels like there's a history there, like it's lived in. Yes. Right? Like, that we're, we're entering into this relationship that far pre-exists us. And, yeah, and so there's a naturalist feel to it. Like, it, Gina Davis especially. Like, this movie just makes her, like, departure from film for a decade and a half, like, all the more tragic. Because... She's so good here. She's so she. I mean, there's such a dramatic and clear arc for that's on the character, and she just hits every single beat just right. Like she, she sells it. And there's a very wide range of emotion for her to portray here. Too, yeah. Right? I mean, she has like her low point where she's nearly raped, and she has to deal with like the aftermath of that, and that's you know very affecting to watch. Yeah. But then there's parts where like, I mean, obviously she has to be funny. It's a, it's, a, it's a comedy, right? And right. Co- comedic moments are. Uh, when she like kind of gains some courage and like you know robs the gas station, and there's a bit of yeah, well, and, and by the end of the movie, she's Linda Hamilton, like she's yeah. <laughs> blowing up <laughs> that yeah. tanker and stuff, like and, and she brings her from she brings that character like from this point of this you know put upon housewife who's afraid to even like ask her husband for a weekend off to you know exploding tankers in the middle of the desert, right? Yeah. Like and like that entire arc is coherent and makes sense. And like, yeah. you see every beat of it along the way. And that it's, it's a strong script. And like, that is certainly a significant part of it, but it's a great performance from Gina Davis here. I really, really like her in this movie. Um, and that, that is held true. So, I mean, we, it, it's a shame we didn't get more of her during this era. All right. Cause like, we have this, we have League of Their Own, The Fly, uh, The Long Kiss Goodnight. But, um, yeah, it feels like there was a missed, a missed opportunity there for the, the industry at large. Um, and Susan Sarandon as well. Uh, is, she's awesome. Part. Yeah, she's like... She's I, kind of the emotional weight to the movie. Right, she's this more static character. Yeah. Right, and that's fine. Like, because that's... And, and, she, and there's like a 10-year age gap between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And like, I think that that's important, that she is kind of more evolved and like have figured herself out a little bit more than yeah, she's been than more she's a bit more cynical right as opposed to the you know davis character is like kind of evolving around her and yeah. i think that that is that's an effective technique here um and it's great that we have a movie starring a 35 year old woman and a 45 year old woman you know that <laughs> standing alone is, is yeah. significant especially in 91 um so that's that's cool too um, did you know that it is a murder story I did not. I had no idea. No, okay. I, I, okay. the way it was like talked about or portrayed, I thought it was like kind of a like Western style like crime movie. It is kind of. Well, yeah, but yeah. like you know, my impression was that they like set out aiming to like rob banks. And oh, okay. Stuff, right? Rather Bonnie than and Clyde like thing. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I got to mix up with Bonnie and Clyde essentially. Have you seen Bonnie and Clyde? Uh, no. I haven't either, but right. but it did feel like it was influenced by that. Yeah, I was reminded of it at having actually seen it. Yeah, yes. Sort of the like criminals who do good. Well, yeah, there's the, the criminals who do good, and like a, a movie that's firmly on the side of the criminals, but also like kind of this road trip feel, like you mentioned yeah. before, like that they're just out like seeing what they encounter out in the wilderness. <laughs> like the movie has a lot of that. Um, which I think works really well here. Um, and we recently did uh, Paris, Texas, and the soundtrack and landscape seem very similar. Yes, yes. <laughs> and um, this came after Paris, Texas, right? Yeah, just a little bit after, but clearly influenced by like the yeah, really the guitar, like saw that movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I think. Um, and of course, Paris, Texas is in turn influenced by how many westerns 
that came before it. So, you know, there's, there's a long, long lineage here. Yeah. Um, but, it, yeah, like, it, if you're expecting just, like, a fun road romp, like, this movie takes an abrupt turn. In, in another it does direction. have that, though. Like, it, there, right. there are, like, fun road romp elements to this. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what makes it charming. Yeah, like, yeah. when they're, they're traveling with Brad Pitt to Oklahoma and all that, like, it works, right? Like, and Gina Davis just, like, figuring out, like, after she dumps the husband and, like, just starts going all in on flirting with Brad Pitt, like, that's great. Like, it works really well. Yeah. Hits the character beat well. And it's funny. It communicates characters really well. Like, it's very well shot. Yeah. Like, when mm-hmm. you see Gina Davis and, and Brad Pitt in the hotel room, like, the whole time over his shoulder, you see that, like, packet of money. Yeah. And it's, like, they're, yeah. they're like, it's telling the story visually, like, really well, where you see where things are going. But Here's this thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, we know. Like, the audience knows. Like, this dude is, is up to something. Because, like, yeah. every guy in this movie is kind of a shithead. Except like, for Harvey Keitel. Yeah, Harvey like, Keitel, I mean, he's still a cop the whole time. And he, like, it does turn at the end. Yeah. Um, and the other, like, Michael Madsen brings him the money. Um, so that's... Yeah, Michael Madsen's cool. He didn't do anything too bad yet. Right, I, think, I think Michael Madsen is the exception. Yeah. But um, by and large, like, everybody else is kind of, kind of a shithead. Yeah. Michael Madsen, he's an amazing actor. Like, yeah. amazing I know, actor. Speaking actor. of underutilized actors like just in general if you look at his IMDb he's very utilized but by like <laughs> okay, by yes. like sci-fi movies it, sure and like he doesn't he's not leading he doesn't have a lot of leading roles here he doesn't yeah um, but you can see why like t- he's like a go-to Tarantino guy yeah this was pre-Reservoir Dogs Reservoir Dogs was 94 mm-hmm. or 92 uh, I don't know the answer to that question off the top of my head one of those I think it was definitely after 91 though Yes, it was. Um, yeah, I, I, I bet that this helped get him that far. And then the one who kills all in turn. Yeah, and, yeah. and he was in April 8, and mm-hmm. like he's just one of the go-to Tarantino guys. And then yeah. otherwise he works for like the sci-fi channel making Tarantino. <laughs> I mean, I was like, joking, this felt like a Tarantino light movie almost. Sure. Because like Harvey Keitel and Madsen are like an iconic uh, Tarantino pair, I guess, and Brad Pitt is also involved in yeah, I mean, Keitel and, and Manson went on to make Reservoir Dogs yeah. just a few years after this. And Keitel's um, in um, Pulp Fiction, too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah, Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about, like, the, the pivotal scene in this movie and, like, how that, that plays out. Because you have Gina Davis clearly drunk in the park. I mean, it's a scene that, like, everybody has, has heard this story at some point, you know, actually playing out. Right. Drunk in the parking lot and is sexually assaulted by this stranger that she just met at the bar. Mm. Um, I did a little bit of research, and I, I'm not sure how to pronounce the screenwriter's name. She's uh, it was Carrie, Callie Kuri, K-H-O-U-R-I. She gave an interview about this movie and about like what like first sparked her desire to make this movie and she was talking about a street harassment incident where she was walking down the street and like some old man pulls over like slows his car down to follow her and is just like haranguing her with the, the various you know excrement that that these guys will do and she's just doing the like keep walking pay no attention be oblivious and he eventually says i want you to suck my dick and she like snaps starts dead his car and says i want to shoot you in the fucking face mm-hmm. and like he drove off, but like <laughs> that was apparently like what happened. So her, the question that brings her to is like, what happens if I actually do that? Yeah, like what happens if I I do actually? Do it's basically the ongoing trucker saga in this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, maybe. Which, is Which felt great. like a bit of a straw man, but so well, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's fine. But like the character itself is like <laughs> felt. I don't know. Just like easy to punch down on where I think like the more interesting complex one is the sort of like creeper dude at the sure, beginning. Sure, this is the more simple character. Yeah. yeah. Whereas like the other one just felt like hey, like this dumb like country guy. Like I'm, yeah. I'm at the point where I'm willing to believe any terrible thing <laughs> that no, I, men I, are going to do to random women. Sure, sure. Yeah, but yeah. I just like, I don't think I need him to be like a send up of like a country guy like, sure. like it would be fine if he was just like a normal guy doing that yeah, right right no I, I, yeah. I get it but yeah. I mean that, that sequence still worked for me I'm like that they have this 
And, and it worked like on a struct pro level, right? That was kind of like punctuating the story. Yeah. This guy that's like tracking with them and it's like, where is this going to end up? And not where you expect. Um, like, to me, it just, it felt a little like kind of punching down. No, I it was just like this guy was like uncultured and like uh, unsophisticated and is because of that is a creep. But yeah. that, it, those, that, those elements don't seem to be necessary to like critique someone who does that. Yeah, I suppose the other side of that point is um, Thelma's husband, right? Who is shown to be relatively well off. Yeah. Right? Like he has a family, he drives a Corvette, like he has all these employees at his. Yeah, he's like the upper middle class, like ski do ownership guy. Right. Uh, Which is exciting. Like he's, like he's, he's selling cars or whatever. Yeah. And so that, I think, is the other side of that coin, right? Like, sure. Being, having money, having means does not absolve you, does not make mean that you're not a lecherous, creepy asshole, too. Yeah, or dumb, like... Right, yeah, or that, because he's certainly an idiot. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really see that as punching down, necessarily. I mean, I understand why you could see it that way. I saw it as, like, kind of representation of, like, kind of the grossness that's under the surface of every man that they have to deal with constantly. Yeah, well, and there's a sense that he's always there, right? That it's, in this instance, it is literally the same guy, but while you're walking out in the world, it might as well be the same guy every time, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, him standing in for, like, that person who's just always there. It feels like you can't, you know, walk down the street at night because there's that guy, even yeah. if it is a te- actually a different guy every time, but it's really the same guy. Yeah, and it's fitting yeah. that he's a trucker because that's seen as, like, a very masculine thing to do. Yeah, there's a lot of performative masculinity here. I think, doesn't he have, like, one of the mud flaps with the outline of the yeah. bikini lady on it and all that? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I hear your point, but I, I I think that there's more, that that's in service of other things as well that, that are effective for me in this movie. He's got the phallic-shaped gas tanker truck. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. real nice. Exactly. Yeah, um, I, I just, like, I think the critique would be better and more complex if he wasn't, like, a dumb southern poor mm-hmm. guy. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but turning to the, re- returning to the, parking lot scene. Um, I think there's a lot of different ways they could have gone with that sequence and, and didn't, right? Because if you have... Because the, the, the movie like goes out of its way to not make it a necessarily sympathetic moment for Susan Sarandon, right? Like, we're clearly on the side of Gina Davis in that situation, but it's not self-defense, right? Like, it's, they, they very explicitly make it... An, of murder, like a non a, a, a act of aggression against men by women for like a social slight. And that is a compelling choice, right? Like fighting against the easy moralizing or lack of moralizing in in that act. How did that land? I thought it was cool. I yeah, was I, mean, like, I thought it was cool too. I was like, yeah, this is badass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was. <laughs> yeah. Right. But I, I like that advice a lot. Right, and, and that the movie makes it explicit, like Susan Sarandon has the line where she says, where Thelma wants to go to the police, and she says, we don't live in that world, that's not the world we live in. Yeah. yeah. And the, the, the parallel is very clear, that like when this guy goes and rapes, the, or attempts to rape Thelma, he will suffer no consequences, but when they fight back against that kind of rape, their lives are over, right? Mm-hmm. They have to drop off a cliff. Um, and... I think if you make it an act of self-defense, you lose that message. Like, it needs to be an act of aggression. It needs to be something that is an affirmative decision and not necessarily necessary. So do you mean that it kind of parallels the man and the woman's actions? Not in terms of culpability. contrasting the consequences thereof? Yeah, certainly not in terms of culpability, Uh but but in terms of violence. Right, I think that they're talking about comparing the, the violence that men tend to enact with the violence that women have available to them in response to that initiating male violence. I think that's what they're critiquing, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, and I think that that is a, that is at the core of what the movie is about. Like, what options do women have to actually oppose men like the, the rapist in this movie? And it's like not many, right? Not many, and it followed everything that after that follows very naturally. 
again though the story is like telegraphed really well yeah. too like when the gun is like oh yeah and, like enters into the story you're like, right at the beginning yeah you're like yeah this is, <laughs> this is good. This they're is, gonna fire that gun before the end of the movie yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um and i like that about it i think tony or not tony scott ridley scott really? is uh I mean, really shows his like chops here because this is, this could be like a pretty boring movie. Yeah, like, they just around a lot. Yeah, and they like just hang out in a hotel a bunch and like go to the diner, but and, like yeah, and like, that like, that was probably my favorite sequence is when they get to that hotel and you have Keanu Davis and Brad Pitt, and it's intercut with um, Susan Strand and Michael Madsen and, yeah. in the diner and in the hotel room. Like that sequence felt intimate to me and like effective and like builds both characters really well. Um, and it, again, like explores relationships between men and women um, in, in a really effective way. And I thought that it was well paced and well structured, and again, often funny. Um, and that that one worked really well for me. I think that might have been my favorite part. Um, yeah, and the notion of like being on the run and like hiding out. Like, there's all these sort of like classic elements that you'd see in like a heist movie, but they're like being appropriated in like new ways. But, right. Yeah. Right. Well, because you have like these. They, they, part of the appeal of a road movie is that like everything becomes a liminal space, right? Like it's just all transitory, it's all passing, and so it feels like you have to like, you know, get what you can out of this time and out of these areas, like while you're there because it is limited. Yeah, and I think that that sequence captured that feeling really well. Yeah, that, like hey, this is what we can do with this time. And, like, yeah, we can, you can go fuck Brad Pitt, or like, yeah, you can have your heart to heart with Michael Madsen, or you can propose, or you can steal six thousand dollars. But like it's a choice, right? And like yeah. how that, that like when you have that choice, like and it limits the time and it limits the space, like the choice becomes more dramatic. It heightens it. Also, I don't I don't know who needs to know this, but Mexico has extradition treaties it with the US. Is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um so go to Venezuela or Cuba. Yeah. Way farther. <laughs> yeah. You can't you, drive to Cuba. I know, <laughs> but like you need to like up your extradition game if you're uh Really on the run. Is the theory that it's harder for like local cops to track them in Mexico? I assume. I assume, or it's like easier to like disappear in a country where you would stand out as like two white women who don't know (laughs) Spanish. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I mean, no, the cops speak the language either. It's always yeah. it's always a trope for like the criminals to run to Mexico or to like the state border. But maybe that's just like misinformed. Yeah. It's incredibly misinformed. Well, yeah, it, you should not go to Mexico. It's, it's a holdover from westerns, right? Yeah, because yeah. in the 1850s, 1860s, there was no extradition with Mexico, right? Like we just got done having a huge fucking war with Mexico, so running away to Mexico really was a safe harbor. Yeah, and I think that it these, came up in Paris, Texas too. Yeah, he like he, just disappeared into into Mexico. Into Mexico, yeah. right? And I mean that's how Bukowski's right. Like that's contemporaneous with when westerns were supposed to take place. But I think that's what's going on here. It's like this Western DNA has carried that far, right? Because I don't think you can really call them a movie's a Western, but it takes place in the American South. Yeah. And it's, it's in the I mean, desert. It's, it's influenced by... It, but it is like, certainly influenced. And yeah. I think that, that that's where that influence comes from, is what was you know historically true in 1860s, no <laughs> longer historically true, uh, but they're still following the trope. Uh, that's my, again, just my guess, but that's my... That's what I would say. Yeah, but yeah, Mexican authorities can bring you back to the U.S. <laughs> yeah, well, <and> <laughs> if a, you're in trouble, and, and, and no. like they kind of have to, like if 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 the they're United legally States, obligated to. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I, I, again, I yeah. Although, unless you make a really good movie, and then you should go to France. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. or at least several really good movies. Yeah, <laughs> then, you're, then you're fine. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there there is that. <laughs> So um, you can keep that in your back pocket. <laughs> yeah. um, so I mean, we, we've talked a little bit about um, the the cops following them, which is, are led by the Harvey Keitel character, but how did that, those parts of the movie work? I, I thought it was funny because it shows that the cops' job is actually like really boring. Like They just yeah. like sit around the house and like wait for like a phone call. Right. And actually the only reason they get caught is because they like made the mistake of like calling that or it's not even a mistake because she does it like on purpose but she's like calling Luis is calling home to like Thelma's husband and stays on the line too long so they can like yeah why did she do that 
I, it was like an act of like brevity or I, 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 well, I mean the, the real reason it's a recklessness to it that is frustrating yeah well and part of it is that they were speeding Right, like because that cop pulls them over when they're speeding, and they end yeah, up but they get away from that. They, but they, they ultimately get do anything to give them up. They, they ultimately get caught because they like are on the phone too right. long. Yeah, and they're yeah, able yeah. to like trace trace they have it. No, we got in trouble. Yeah, which <laughs> is also not a thing. Right, right. Um, they can get you instantly. But I find it um, funny you mentioned how boring their job seemed because in a movie from the other side, they would make all these like stakeouts seem super intense and fun. Yeah, and they'd be like, right, you know, they'd just be over the horizon waiting for you, right? Yeah. And here, it's it's like ultimately a mistake of the character that leads to them, like, getting caught. Because um, you, you can imagine this movie from the cast perspective, right? Yeah. Or something like this from the cast perspective. All these, you know, runaway broads end up killing a guy, and we've got to hunt him down, and, you know, that, that can certainly play out that way, right? Yeah. Like that, and they just made that movie about Bonnie and Clyde, right? Because Bonnie and Clyde was like great, you know, counterculture, you know, American New Wave movie, and they just released a fucking Netflix movie. It was from the cops' point of view. From the cops' point of view, with Woody Harrelson and Kevin Costner. It's like, yeah, that's exactly what we need. Like, what were the cops thinking about in, during Bonnie and Clyde? Um, but you could imagine them doing the same thing. And here it's like not much. They're just like, yeah, they essentially turn the house into like a bachelor pad. But yeah, there were some funny moments where they kind of make fun of. The fruitlessness of the police's um, like attempts at investigation, I guess. Sure. Like they're talking to the waitress <laughs> um, right after the murder, right? Yeah. And he asks her if she saw like what car they were in, and she gives like a snarky response about how she doesn't follow them out to their <laughs> the car. Yeah. I thought that was a perfect. Yeah, right. Response. That was good. But if you like, if you watch like kind of true crime shows, this is actually a pretty realistic rendition of cop work, where like. Yeah, it was like, yeah, we just like sat around for four years and someone called us and said, like, this person got murdered by this. And yeah. Then, yeah. Then we solved the murder. Yeah. <laughs> like, Good police work. We got them all. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the whole trope of like the first 48 is like, yeah. if they don't have the evidence the first 48 hours, like, you're, you're SOL. They, they're, they're moving on. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Because, yeah, because it's not about putting in the man hours. No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the like, the story of like the cop who like the murder bothered them for decades oh, is like they put it together finally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like no, not at all. Like yeah, it's, it's yeah. no puzzle. Yeah, no, but the, the part that no, go ahead, sorry. The, the serial killer that they caught in L.A. like five years ago, someone, um, his like cousin or like his like son got arrested, and they like DNA swabbed the son oh. for the crime, and then they knew it was a familial match with the serial killer because they had DNA evidence. And that's how they found the guy. Yeah. Like, they did nothing. <laughs> so they knew who the guy was, but they didn't know where he was? They had his DNA. Okay. And but then they found this other guy who shared his DNA very closely. And then they were like, hey, do you know anybody that might be a, a murderer? Oh, is it your dad? <laughs> Turns out. <laughs> yeah. And then it was him. It was this guy who murdered probably dozens of people. Oh, my God. Yeah. But there's no, like, like footwork that went into this. Like, it just stumbled into them. Yeah. I'm sure, like, somebody was on the case, but... The story of him getting caught is just like a happy accident. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was about to say the uh, the part that cracked me up the most is well, they they like coached the uh, Thelma's husband to like respond on the phone because they bugged all the phones. Yeah, and Thelma like calls home later, and he just sounds like so happy to hear her, and she immediately hangs up. She immediately knows something's up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was just good. no hesitation. Immediately hangs up the phone. Yeah, this is probably a funny joke in the movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then like Louise calls back and it's like, hey, give him the phone to the cops, and he's like, what? What oh, cops? Yeah. The police who are sitting right there, you can see their faces turn immediately to like, oh, this fucking guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that that was such a priceless moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they do a great job as making that kind of like a total doofus. Yeah, he's yeah. he's a good character actor. He's, he's in a lot of stuff. Say, he plays that same character in a lot of movies. Yeah, I feel like he's in like some Adam Sandler films or something. I'm sure he, he is. That same yeah. character. It's it's hilarious. I like this. Scooter McGavin. Probably I've looked from at the, the Happy Gilmore. Gilmore. I, think I haven't seen that movie, but I've seen bits of it. I'm pretty sure that's You haven't seen Happy Gilmore? No, I have not. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> it's dumb. Well, yeah. 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 I, yeah, I don't know if it holds up. but I mean, it, was, it never started out that good. <laughs> it was a well-liked movie. That's true. Yeah, that's, that is certainly true. Um, what do we think about the ending? That's the most famous part of this movie. That's the chat everybody knows. That's what... The, Simpsons just lifted wholesale from yeah. that one episode. 
Um, how, how did it play out? Or what do we think it means or anything? I mean, they state what it means, right? Like, they don't want to go to jail. Yeah. Or, like, the the life behind bars is it's not yeah, we, yeah. in their it's opinion. It's the only way for them to, like, go out on their own terms and have agency in the situation. Right, yeah. That's, they, that is stated explicitly, like, in the fiction. Um, what's what, what they're doing. Um, how do we feel like it plays with the messaging of the film? Right. It's kind of depressing to That's think about true. how, like, <laughs> yes. because of the way society is constructed, this is their only out for this situation that essentially a man has, has like, put upon them, placed upon them. Yeah, right, right. And I think that's how it's, kind of how it's meant to be, right? Like, there, there's a, a, like they say, like the characters actually say, like, there's an empowerment to it and that they are making an affirmative decision about where their lives are going and that they are refusing to go to jail and, and that this is preferable to lethal injection or whatever they would have ended up with. Um, but yeah, it's also a huge bummer. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Forecloses the possibility of any sequel. <laughs> so, um, they do such a good, again, visual communication of like how impossible it is for them to get yes. out. Like you just see all the guns being loaded, like the fingers like pushing bullets yeah. in. Well, and you have like the wider shot of like this this ring of police cars. And, yeah, like, just them. Um, and then the, the more probably the most famous shot in the movie where they like clasp hands before they yeah. drive off um, over the cliff. And yeah, just really effectively communicated, which is what I think of when I think of this guy. It's an effective filmmaker. Yeah. I, I like to how they like stop it in midair because it's like yeah. and the characters kind of like live on through that like mm -hmm. we don't see like a definite ending to the characters yeah but i think that was a smart choice yeah like this plays very differently the fart car just falls down the, the canyon yeah and we like smashes <laughs> the crowd yeah, kill our... they serve different purposes you can do it either way right and right but it's like feel to it. but the tone yeah, this one's more triumphant. the tone of like seeing the actual end would be even darker yeah that is that yeah. is grim yeah <laughs> In a more serious movie, maybe that's the kind of ending you want, right? But this one is it's a little more uplifting than that. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, speaking of, like, the tone of the film, like, there's certainly levity to it, like, especially at the beginning. Like, it feels there, like a comedy. There are jokes, but there are moments that really don't feel like that, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, uh, there's a darkness to this film that I think gets forgotten. Because, like, the, the reputation of it, and I think you both spoke to this having not seen it before, is that it is kind of this lighthearted girl buddy flick yeah. and it's not that yeah. it's not that yeah. it's not that really it's like there's a tension playing in this movie for a lot of it and a darkness at the very far of it and like the inciting action is like a pretty grim reminder of the reality of the world yeah and that's another i think part of this movie that really speaks to really scott's talent like it, it, that he's able to negotiate those tonal shifts that are very frequent um, very stark, um, and have it still like play effectively. Yeah, it never felt like it was kind of lurching back and forth. Right. It felt very natural. Right, exactly. And I think that I mean that that's you know every book and movie coming together to make something great, but it's also the director like just having a pretty clear vision of how this is supposed to work, and he does it. It's good work. Yeah, yeah. It was cool for me to have seen some of the sites that they visit towards sure. the end of the movie. So at the part where they get caught by the cop for speeding. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's in Arches National Park because I recognize some of those rock formations and I like had gone there. That's in Arizona? It's in uh, Utah. Utah? Oh, Utah, yeah. I really could have used the, not used the follow-up scene to that. Oh, yeah. Where they have the, uh, uh, a man with dreadlocks kind of a bike up to the car <laughs> yeah. with a joint in his hand. But <laughs> for some reason. It was clearly like a, yeah, I was like, oh, I'll, Jamaican-looking guys, like... High as a kite. High as a kite. Yeah. Out in the middle of the desert while you're road biking? Yeah. That's him big headies. That's a serious bike you can tell by his outfit. It's really serious. Yeah. But that felt, like, super racist. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I was yeah. like, whoa, where did this come from? <laughs> like, do anything for the movie? Not at all. I guess it was supposed to... It, I mean, it's supposed to be a comedy sequence, yeah. right? Because he, like, blows pot smoke in, in at the cop. Sure. Who, and the cop who's in grave danger in the middle of a desert in uh, <laughs> in the trunk. Um, I was like, where did this come from? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a fuck the police moment, right? It's, like, it's definitely that. Right. And I think that... But it felt been, super racist. Yeah, great. But I think that might have been what they were going for. Yeah. Right? It's like, here's this guy that the police would normally, like, target. And he has complete power over the 
police officer now and kind of rubs his face, literally rubs his face in it. He used like so many so many racist stereotypes to like get there. Like, it, I, I'm not saying it's worth it. I'm yeah. just saying like I think that's uh, and the choice of him being a cyclist is so bizarre because it doesn't like why if you're a cyclist would you smoke pot while you're while you're cycling like have a little the desert and he has like a really big giant yeah. Yes, I agree. That was is, a, is he, he's point. listening to like reggae music, like on the on his headphones that you can hear. Of audibly. course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Whoa, this is so racist." Yes, yes. And, and it comes out of nowhere. It serves no purpose. Like, yeah, because it's like that cop doesn't return later. I don't think he reports anything to anyone else. They no, they mention it like in someone. I think Harvey Keitel or one of the other officers like says something offhand okay. that they like robbed a, a police officer, but it's, like, really fast. Okay. The, there's a point where they're just, like, listing their crimes. <laughs> and yeah. And I think that's on the list. Okay. Um, so, yeah, and that, that's right before they blow up the tanker in the middle of the desert. Right? Like it's, Yeah. Yeah. Which also felt a little incongruous, but, yeah. But it's, like, a Ridley Scott moment. Right it's, it's more like a Michael Bay moment. Because, like, <laughs> the, the explosion is so big. Well, it's too coherent to be a Michael Bay moment. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, and they're really ramping up the Gina Davis character um, by then, right? Because it's, it's her that is, like, taking all of these extra steps at this point. They're, like, really drawing a line under that. Like, yeah. this is where she started. This is where she's ending. And she's, like, they want to make her end point starkly different from what, where she was. And I think that that's their, their goal there. And it works. Like, it works for me. I'm, I'm fine with that tanker sequence. I think it was cool. That felt like a, like a movie, like a, a real action movie moment. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's like a nuclear action. bomb. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 They're like driving off the explosions and still going. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And they have little handguns. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's all it takes. Yeah. yeah. Like, the guy's just brought as low as possible. That, that seems to do for like a, a Mythbusters. <laughs> <laughs> they must have done that at some point, right? Like the tiny. They did it with uh, with Jaws. They did it with Jaws, and it doesn't work. With, right. Yeah. It took, I, like, I, they probably done it with like bullets exploding gas tanks, and it probably doesn't. Probably, right. It probably doesn't. I, I'm sure. I'm sure they've done it with a propane tank. I feel like I'm remembering that, and it does not like go off. Yeah. It, it just like fun. releases the the gas. Imagine that. <laughs> but, but you need a you need a tracer bullets to get it to ignite because the, okay. the tracer bullets like have a like a burning element to them yeah. which is why they glow and that's what you need to like ignite that they're actually like, hot right because like yeah they're, they're on bullets, they're on fire that's why they trace regular yeah. bullets just going really fast and not hot enough to ignite it that's yeah just... so, so you need like incendiary bullets to get to light the gas but you also need like an oxygen mix that's <laughs> Like correct with the gas because otherwise the gas will put the fire out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I guess we're just assuming that everybody in the movies has tracer bullets. Yeah, they have, the case, they have tracers oh, in their uh, handguns. Yeah. Well, if you're shooting at night, you need to be able to see where you're shooting. Exactly. So. Yeah. Yeah. With, with your six bullets. That's every. You have three of your bullets are tracers. That's how she shot the guy in the heart. She knew like where the bullet was going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, any uh, any closing thoughts on on Thelma and Louise? Uh, I'm just I'm just happy it held up. I feel like a mm-hmm. lot of the '90s movies we've seen have a weird like kind of '90s cheesiness about them. Yeah, I hear that. Um, I don't know a more detailed way to describe that, but I think if you've seen a bunch of '90s movies, you kind of get it. There's like a certain style to editing um, that just has that feel to it. And this movie somehow just completely eschews it. It doesn't. Doesn't fall for that. Yeah, I think they avoid like time markers generally. Like the their car is like old old at the time that they're driving it, so it's not like a nineties car and they don't they're not using like you know, early nineties cell phones. Like they and they have like normal jobs. Yeah. Like one's just a, a waitress and one Yeah, I mean none of American diners are timeless, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's there's a timelessness to the movie in general. Even that, the yeah. costuming. Yeah, like, they're just looks, wearing like jeans and yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the cast you make in the Southwest, like, is never changing. Um, so I guess that's part of it. But the only thing that really dates the movie is the husband character. The Jim Davis. Because yeah, he's such, like, a 90s guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and that's kind of it. Like, everyone else is, it, it looks pretty yeah. it's timeless, really. 
It's not specific to a certain place. And also, the movie just looks great. Yeah. Like, just the, 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 the photography of it is so... It's clear. Uh, like, it's very clear yeah. what's going on. And, and that's going to make anything, you know, stand up to subsequent later viewings. Yeah, um, I mean, shot with, like, in very basic ways. Like, they're not used... But they're, like, avoiding, like, really big color filters or, you you know, styles that, you know, might pass. Yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't need it, right? Like, the yeah. script is strong. Like, the, the performances stand on their own. Yeah. Like, it doesn't... You don't need to get in the way of that. And... The only thing that read was really 90s was the the Ridley Scott soundtrack, which, like, <laughs> the, not the, like, m- music, but the, you know, the rest of the... Not the, like, popular songs, but, uh-huh. like, the music in between that sounds like a Ridley also, Scott. Also, I mean, Hans Zimmer did this? Yep. Yeah. One of his earlier works, I guess? Yeah. He, and he definitely listened to the soundtrack for Paris, Texas. <laughs> so, I think that's, you see some parallels there, too. The, late in the movie, when it becomes, like, an action yeah. film, you can hear elements of, like, the Top Gun yeah. <laughs> uh, movie. Like, a lot of similar inst- digital instruments are being used, and that's when, that's, like, a very 90s marker. Yeah, that's yeah. true. But I mean, that's not that many over the course of a tour plus movie. Yeah. 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 So that worked. Okay. Uh, and we'll be back in a moment with hot takes. All right. We're back with a hot take. Uh, this is a section where we uh, read a review of the movie that disagrees with the sort of like general thought consensus around around a film, usually with like classics and negative yes. reviews on classics. Yes. So this one uh, is written by a guy named Peter Rayner, who was writing for the LA Times at the time. I think he still writes there. This is contemporaneous with the Contemporaneous with the movie. With the movie. And it has a crazy title. I don't know if this is the actual title or if it's just the digitization turned it into the title. But the title is True or False, Thelma and Louise, Just Good Old Boys? Question mark. Just what boys? Good old boys. Good old boys. Okay. That's not the end of the title. The rest <laughs> of the title is the movie plugs into the anger and frustrations of women working in Hollywood and their larger frustrations in society, period. But is it something to celebrate? So that's a long wow, headline. That's <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's an article in the title. That, like, sold me. Um, so you're um, in at okay. this point. Yeah. In a movie year not notable for its oomph and controversy, the new Ridley Scott film Thelma and Louise, written by Callie Corey, has been riling up audiences into a love-it-or-hate-it lather. As rigged and goofy and problematic as it is, the film has struck an exposed nerve. It goes on to explain the plot. And he's right about that. Like, women responded and continued to respond very strongly to this movie. Very positively to this movie. Yeah. For understandable reasons. So, it was true at the time that it came out. It's true now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Women are uh, supposed to deplore violence in the movies, but a lot of women seem to be charged up by this film. Is it it because the tables have turned? (laughs) Could it be that the violence is okay as long as the object of that violence is appropriately scummy? In Thelma and Louise, retribution is all. It feels kind of like he's like kind of tissing at the the violence in this film. It's not a particularly violent movie. No, <laughs> no, it's not. It's like there's a gunshot wound and like that's it, mm-hmm. and I guess a big explosion. Yeah, and, and frankly, yeah. yes, it is correct to do violence against people if they're sufficiently scummy. The answer to that question is yes. But it, it, there's like a cowardice in this review where it's just like I'm just asking the questions. Mm-hmm. When it's like, yeah, but you mean like you're you're, you're uncomfortable taking, with the violence. It's a leading question. You're making a statement. With yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and where where you obviously like disagree with the film, like step up, like you know, say what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so he goes on to talk about French cinema. <clears throat> Even the French cinema, where women are most often exhibited as demure uh, objets de art, has, okay. has which is not true. Yeah, in fact, the opposite um, has hit it big in this country with Luc Besson's La Femme Nikita, sure. uh, where a feral beauty expand expends a fair amount of her screen time plugging holes into people. Hollywood is now talking about a remake. Women do not often get the opportunity to project strength in movies or to be physically threatening. Yeah, okay. <laughs> He's just talking about, like, all these other sort of contemporaneous films and, like, how they become more and more violent is essentially his concern here. They probably satisfy men's fantasies far more than women's, 
Um, coarsened and cartoonish, these heroines can toy with the male audience's uh, unexpressed desire to be sexually overpowered because men aren't required to take them seriously as women. It's a sick joke that actresses can only assume dominant roles by now by co-opting male action parts that in many cases aren't worth playing anyways. Where's the glory in being the female Arnold Schwarzenegger or Bruce Willis? Damn. Is that, is that a, a fair point? I, I mean, Terminator 2, I think, is like, there's a lot of glory in that. Living, Living Hamilton's fucking cool. And like, yeah, I think that is good and, and progressive and interesting. Yes. And yeah. uh, I think we've seen this um, quite recently in, in a lot of action films. The Atomic Bond. Atomic Bond. Yeah, being a great example of that. It's like, yeah, this is good, and it's cool. <laughs> yeah, well, and this movie isn't just doing that, right? Like, yeah. I think there is some sort of critique available that's just about, like, if all we're doing is, like, gender swapping, you know, jingoistic, masculine, action hero roles, yeah, like, that probably isn't the most progressive thing in the world. But that's not what this movie's doing. Like, this is not the movie where I need okay. to be making that point. So here, here's where the guy, like, reveals himself to be a, a weirdo. Okay, got it. Okay. Um, the other type of female destructiveness, as demonstrated in movies like Sleeping with the Enemy and Silence of the Lambs, comes in response to male psycho craziness. It's a standard issue funhouse formula. The terrorized woman finally routes the boogeyman. The violence is eroticized, which is a dead giveaway as to what's really going on in these movies. The payback is a form of sexual release, just as the action leading up to it is a weirdo form of foreplay. What? <laughs> it's like, this guy is thinking about a lot of things when he's watching this movie. <laughs> like, yeah. it's it's perfect when, like, creeps, like, reveal themselves, and often unintentionally. Yeah. Is, yeah. It, and, again, that is happening in Songs of the Lambs, right? Like, it is sexualized, but it's sexualized to an entirely different end, right? It's critiquing the sexualization of violence, mm -hmm. right? And it, and very significantly, like, Clarice is not the one exercising violence, right? Like, she gets the last shot, but it's very clearly in self-defense. And, yeah. and the, the serial killer is the one who is being the aggressor, and he's, you know, that's made explicit. And again, that's not in this movie at all, right? Like, this is such a non-sexual movie. The women... He does He does kind of say that. He, yeah. he does say that the violence in this film isn't isn't eroticized. But he's already set it up to say, like, hey, in all these other films where we're getting leading women, it is yeah. eroticized. So he's, like, still trying to, like, paint a thematic brush here. Mm -hmm. The expectations of feminism have gone bust, and in its place is a, is a righteous, self-immolating fury... The women in these movies reinforce each other's rage towards men, and they trade on the cruelty men have shown toward them. In the process, they willingly sacrifice themselves. I mean, there's yeah. some truth to that, too. I yeah. think this movie is a lot about female rage. Yeah. Right? Like, because Susan Sarandon is angry. She's very angry when she shoots the the guy in the parking lot. And correctly. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, she ought to be. And I, But I think that the, this movie is about how we misunderstand female rage and how we discount the legitimacy of female rage. Or the and, fact that we provoke it in the first place. Right, exactly. And that, and that it, we sh they should be angry. Right? Yeah. Women yeah. have every right to be, uh, to be angry at men, especially that guy. So it, it seems like he's saying things that are true about the film but are also just good things about the film. Yeah, it, he, yeah. It's it's not totally clear, but he seems to mean that like these are bad things about the about the film, right? Which, uh, and and he and he shows his cards in in the conclusion here. So he goes, uh, I, I skipped a lot, like a few That's pages worth. Yes. <laughs> um, women. So he says, women have as much right to their road movie shoot 'em ups as men, but that doesn't negate the overheard comment of one woman as she left the theater after the screening. I liked it, but women are different. Why not a different story? Which this feels like. If the success of Thelma and Louise means we're in for a rash of female outlaw movies that shouldn't be interpreted as a fem feminist step up any more than the rash of pusher pimp roles... He gets kind of racist here. I'm going to skip this part. <laughs> if the only way a woman can light up the screen these days is with a thirty-eight caliber pistol, isn't that just another form of subordination? I mean, not necessarily. No. And <laughs> certainly not in this movie. And it, it shows that they're able to like find their freedom. Yeah. Like, the yeah, film, I mean, like, illustrates that. Yeah, the, I mean, the closest parallel that this ending has with earlier works is probably Butch Cassidy, right? Like, is, either of you seen Butch Cassidy in the Sundance? I've seen, like, half of it on TV. Okay, well, yeah. they die at the end. Um, and yeah. They, <laughs> yeah, they, they die at the end in that kind of place of glory, right? Like, that they're, 
trapped in some, you know, house somewhere in Mexico having or Brazil or something like they've run away. And they decide that they're gonna run out there, guns a blazing, and die. And that's and the movie ends with them like flying out from around the corner with their guns out and it does the same kind of freeze frame thing here. And to that to me doesn't necessarily feel like glorifying violence. It, it's glorifying, like you pointed out earlier, agency and like mm -hmm. making choices and like having the uh, looking at the options available to you and saying like I'm going to take the option that gives me the most. Agency. Yeah, you're saying like pretty clearly here that like oh, it's like it's not progressive that like women just like <clears throat> remake a movie that was made with men in women's roles. But right. that's not what this movie is. This is like very specific to the the context and experience of like these characters and as you said earlier based on like a real life experience of the, of the writer mm -hmm. it would be hard to compare this to like another document that was uh, led by male characters because it wouldn't it doesn't make sense like yeah, there's I mean, no context for it that makes sense yeah the closest, the, probably, the closest probably is butch cassidy and that's a very different movie yeah like i mean it's still like a chase movie or like a road trip movie but it's like saying they're very different things with very different characters. And yeah, so it seems like yeah. this reviewer is identifying a real pitfall that movies can fall into, but is misapplying. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's fair. Yes, that, that, is, that is correct. Um, good find, though. It's, yeah, I was, um, it was the first rotten one that I oh, found right. on Rotten Tomatoes, I and I was like, I hope it's contemporaneous, and it, and it was, and... Yeah, so it actually didn't take very very much research to find this, but yeah, because I was, this the the contemporary understanding of this movie is that it's a classic. Like you're probably not going to see that many negative reviews. So. And on rewatch, like proves that. Yeah, like, it, yeah it, it's right. very good. Right. Yeah, that we are right to think that. Um, but yeah, you're not going to see that many contemporary takes that talk about this being a bad movie or an anti-feminist movie or something like that. Um, yeah, because that's not the common read, and it's just not true either. Mm -hmm. um, all right, my pick next. Yes. Okay. Um, I have never seen a John Cassavetes movie. It's a major hole in my filmography, and I've been meaning to film it for a long time, and this show is a great excuse to do that. His most famous movie is probably A Woman Under the Influence, so that's what we're going to do. Um, so this is Gina Rowan's his wife, John Cassavetes, in the middle of his career, and Peter Falk, you know, using a lot of his Columbo money to finance this thing. Um, so that's going to be the pick. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, if you're liking the show, please share it. Please subscribe. Please like. Please comment. Um, it really does make a difference to us. We are on iTunes, Google Play, Facebook, um, uh, various other podcast things, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, and, it, it, and so thank you for listening. And please, please share it with your friends. And join us next week for A Woman Under the Influence.